This is Mary Alice, and thank you for joining me on Global Heart to Heart Radio. Late this past spring, my friend Sean Mitchell was a guest in my home, and as we were having breakfast, Sean began to tell me of the progress of her new book, entitled Transcendental Leadership, Ageless Principles and Practices for Leading in a Time of Awakening. The result was an impromptu interview with Sean. I'm excited to say that Sean's book is now available for sale. In our interview, you'll hear Sean talk about the top traits of transcendental leaders and the powerful practices that they use to access their wisdom. But what I love most about her book is that it is not only about leadership in business, but most importantly, it is about the leadership of self, about our own wisdom and integrity, and our awarenesses about serving the whole of humanity. You can find a link to Sean's new book, Transcendental Leadership, on globalhearttoheart.com store. Now, thanks for tuning in, and let's hear the interview from last spring. You're listening to Global Heart to Heart Radio. This is Mary Alice, and today my guest is Sean Mitchell. Today we'll be listening to Sean as she tells us about her book, Transcendental Leadership, Ageless Principles and Practices for Leadership in a Time of Awakening. Thank you for joining us today, Sean. I'm so excited to hear about your book. I am going to keep my mouth shut and let you tell us about your upcoming book that we're, we should be seeing that book in June, right? Well, I hope so. I hope so. <laughs> Certainly sometime this summer. And thanks, Mary Alice, for having me. I'm honored, truly, to be able to share about this. You know, it came uh, somewhat out of hiding because the notion of transcendental leadership came to me when I needed to write my thesis for a master's in consciousness studies. And this was in 2014, actually. And the professors and advisors recommended that this was something to write about. It felt pretty daunting at the time, but jumped in. And it's been asking to be born out of an academic paper, if you will, and into a book for today's people. And it feels like the time has come with what we're experiencing nowadays in terms of the chaos in the world and how urgently we need quality leadership. Yes. Um, you were asking me a little bit to give a synopsis, perhaps, of the chapters and what it entails. Yes. And um, so let me kind of give you a play-by-play -play to some degree. I'm needing to rewrite the introduction, of course, because when I originally wrote it, was so long ago, and obviously, times have changed. We're talking here now, what, at the end of March 2021, and things have changed quite a bit. Excuse me, the first chapter is an introduction to various theories and models of leadership. You know, well, the great man theory, servant leadership, transformational, transactional, behavioral models of leadership, and of course, nowadays, I call conscious leadership is a little bit flavor du jour, but thank goodness we need it. Like I say, the first chapter kind of outlines these theories and models. The second chapter really kind of digs into how and what and where does my sense of 
the notion of transcendental leadership comes from. And this really did come out of my master's curriculum. And there's three pillars to this chapter two, which is called Transcendence and Wisdom in Leadership. The first pillar is what I call basically is tenets of philosophy. And I researched philosophy back from the fragments and Greek philosophy through, you know, to Kantian and, of course, perennial to uh, Ralph Waldo Emerson and the Transcendentalist Movement in the 1800s, which I just fell in love with. Oh, wow. The second pillar reviews all the primary wisdom traditions of the world, including indigenous wisdom traditions. And that includes, of course, Hinduism and Buddhism and Christianity and Judaism and Islam. And where in all these teachings is leadership noted being informed through a relationship with God, source, spirit, universal wisdom, a deep inner knowing? The third pillar comes somewhat science-based in terms of what nowadays we're calling uh, quantum science, the implicate field, a lot of David Bohm's work. Science now that tells us we're all connected and there's maybe a science of unity in a sense. Mm -hmm. So that's chapter two that really lays the foundation of what I'm trying to share I just want a new notion of leadership in the world. It's so needed now. The time is ripe. I've said it, I'll say it again. Is the age of Aquarius, and now is the time for our consciousness. It's being raised, whether we want it to be or not. It's happening. Your book could not be more divine in its timing. I'm just going to share what I feel is something that wants to come out. And hopefully it's a conversation that can be added to how we lead. Yes. Uh, Chapter three, I call the traits of transcendental leadership. What I did in trying to come up with the traits is I, firstly, I didn't want to include the hard skills of strategy and marketing and time management. Yeah, stuff we know about business already. That's the, the, the framework of what is and yeah. I wanted to highlight what you might call the soft skills. Mm. I guess you could say sort of a core element was understanding the nature of reality. That would be a core trait. Does the person, does the individual, are they interested in the nature of reality and how does this serve? So I came up with three core traits under which I have another, say, 20 I'll share in a moment. These three core traits are wisdom, awareness, and serving the whole. And underneath that then are authenticity and integrity and humility and the capacity to suspend judgment. So that's basically chapter three. And then chapter four, which for me is probably the one I get the most jazzed about personally, and I'm the most passionate about, is what I call portals to being a transcendental leader. Portals. Portals, like gateways. Like openings, yes, gateways. Gateways. Practices is what's often the term used in a spiritual context. 
and I wanted to be sure not to have too many of them. So there's 10. And at the same time, what I feel so strongly about is, as you mentioned in the introduction, I learned transcendental meditation when I was quite young. Well, in my 20s, but don't do the math. I feel that there are gateways that are different for most of us. And it's really important that an individual who wants to be informed by a relationship, if you will, with the transcendence source God, that they learn the portals that resonate for them. Uh And they're different for different folks. But I do believe there's approximately 10 overarching gateways. Uh For instance, in regard to the portals, one of them is nature. Sound bathing, gardening, earthing. Is the new thing. It's earthing. It's how your body um, grounds. But it's all nature. Everything, right? Not to digress too much, but have you read the book, The Overstory? Extraordinary about trees. We're so interconnected with it. Oh, yeah. And we cannot not be. Nature's one of my primary portals. Mm -hmm. I have three primary portals. Mm So I'll list some of them here in a moment. But I do want to encourage people to discover and find one or two or three that truly, truly resonates with them. And then, you know, dig in, right? create a practice for yourself. It'll help fine tune your relationship to accessing source and God, like a a tuning fork or like a radio station. And you'll more regularly be informed, which affects one's being which affects who you are being in the world and therefore, of course, how you lead, whether you're just leading your own life or you're leading others. Mm -hmm. But other practices, of course, are like meditation, contemplation, creativity, movement. Movement can be anything from, of course, yoga, qigong, dance, Mm -hmm. inspired writings. I think of inspired writings from, um, again, Emerson, one of my all-time faves, to the Bhagavad Gita, mm-hmm. great poetry. If you love Mary Oliver, John Donahoe, or, or David White. Or you can listen on globalhearttoheart.com at the Poets Corner. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Music. Music. Yeah. Uh, speak of my language. Also, uh, plant medicine mm-hmm. is one of the portals as well. In short, that's chapter four. That's exciting. Uh, Yeah, I I really, like I said, are so desirous to encourage people to find what resonates for them in a deep practice. Then chapter five is called Transcendental Leadership in Action Today. I wanted to ask people in the world, on the ground, in leadership positions, whether it's their own endeavor, they're leading others, and find out what their notion of transcendental leadership might be, what might be their best traits, and or what might be their portals and practices, plus get some anecdotes and stories and so forth. And I didn't realize that this particular 
endeavor uh, to go out into the world globally, in fact, to ask different people to participate would be so fruitful. It's just been incredible. So at the moment, in fact, I'm trying to finish up interviews and get everyone's input. So that's been pretty exciting. I don't want to name drop, so stay tuned for the book. <laughs> Which will be out by mid-June this well, year. You know, you're putting the pressure on me. <laughs> but yes, I am, because I can't wait to read this book. <laughs> I'm kind of excited, too, I have to say. It's excellent. Transcendental Leadership. The last chapter, in brief, is where can we go from here? And I'm trying to share as much as possible thoughts and ideas not just of my own, but from others, obviously, that can contribute to the notion of leading a line with source and informed by God or informed by universal wisdom, depending on how one might want to mm -hmm. call it. So there you go, my dear. Thank you. Oh, my God, is that brief? <laughs> because I know... Uh... Just for our listening audience, uh, Sean and I were speaking about this over coffee this morning, and it was not that brief. <laughs> and there's a lot to this book, because it's not just about leadership in business or leadership in politics or any other kind of business. I get the great sense it's also leadership of yourself. You lead yourself you lead your family, you lead groups. There's so much to this. And the idea of all of the, the integrity and everything that goes along with it, you know, you speak about wisdom, awareness, and serving the whole, but then the qualities that come along with that, that's for everyone and can't not be. And our connection with the earth, there's so much. This book is so rich. I really cannot wait to read all the details. Just in speaking to you, I'm, I'm so excited for it. Yeah, thank you. I feel sometimes that the bottom line is truly just about being, beingness, if you will. Yes. And when our being, oh, I'm choking up, <laughs> when our being is informed by source, when we're informed by universal wisdom, it's like a tuning fork. Mm-hmm. And how can we not then contribute from a place of love and compassion and a deep caring for serving the whole? That's right. It just to benefit everyone. And I'm seeing that the consciousness of society in general is awakening more and more. I'm also very much of an optimist and believe that the more we are attuned. Nature is such a big one. Uh, nature is huge because, <laughs> I mean, we live on the earth. I was on a train in Spain and I'm looking at the mountains and I'm seeing the mountains were kind of bare and rugged and you could see like the jaggedness and the crevices in the earth. And I had this moment of understanding that we are the earth. You know, talk about oneness. All of our experiences, our bumps, our holes in our life, so to speak, the things that wound us, the things that heal us, it's all there. 
it is the earth goes through it in a magnitude and we go through it in the the microcosm and the earth is the macrocosm of it if you will and i just understood that we are the earth and the earth is us it was just this moment we we're rising there i really have the faith that we are rising there we have enough people who want to work toward healing the earth because we've harmed her so much and I'm getting off on the topic. But <laughs> I hear you. I hear exactly what you're saying. I've had, you know, the notion too that, you know, we're made out of lava. Imagine. I mean, we're made out of gases. We're made out of cosmic dust. Literally. Literally. Right? <laughs> and the it's amazing. idea, right, the, of the evolution of our, well, the cosmos, our planet system, our incredible little blue pearl of a planet of our own, and the fact that everything that has evolved to the point where here we are, self-reflecting creatures connected to the very beginning. In one instance in my mind, I think this is like incomprehensible how vast it is. And on another side of my mind, it's like, it's so simple. You can't even get it because it's so simple. Kind of like the Fibonacci circle, right? It, mm -hmm. It's there everywhere, and it's so simple to understand it. And yet sometimes it's too massive for us to get. I, I can't fully understand how that works, but it is. My goal is to help to bring people together to understand the simplicity of the divinity of it, not feel overwhelmed by what feels incomprehensible, because if we look at it, it's right in front of us. Yeah, one of the things that feels, I feel really grateful about and feels sometimes incomprehensible as well is when I get up in the morning, I should just get down on my knees in gratitude for this like blip of a moment of a life experience. Mm -hmm. That's so rich. And I get to be here with you today. Amazing. Well, I get to, for you to be here today. How incredibly amazing is that? I get to be here with that? you two today. <laughs> <laughs> How incredibly amazing is that? It is pretty incredibly amazing. I'm going to hone us in a little bit. You have a master's in consciousness studies. And you have lived your life. You've done transcendental meditation. Tell me a little bit about your progression to where you got to this point of writing this book, Principles and Practices for Leadership in a Time of Awakening. That's kind of big. Hey, go for it. <laughs> I don't know if you're asking for a little bio here or what, but I've always been a seeker, if you will, always mm -hmm. from the get-go. Mm -hmm. I was really curious, like, what up? You know, what's that about? <laughs> How come? What's up? What, nah, nah, nah. And was raised Catholic, went to Catholic school. So even from that, it was always about the unseen world and, uh, and celestial beings. And I always felt things like that as well. Mm. Certainly elements of growing up. I'm just a regular kid and, you know, got married and had children mm -hmm. and so on. But always I, I called on the bedside table where, you know, the books and the things that I was interested in, psychology, the nature of reality, and, and so on. I was reading everything. And then 
in college, I learned TM. It was sort of, you know, trend du jour at the time. Uh-huh. And it just stuck. And I was able to access altered states of awareness. Uh-huh. As opposed to when I took mushrooms, for example. <laughs> Fortunately, my sons already know about that stuff. So anyhow, you know, I was interested in the Institute of Noetic Sciences. I was inst- interested in Seth Speaks. I was interested in the Course of Miracles, Autobiography of a Yogi. I mean, wherever it was, I read about it. But I did have a life as a re- real estate broker in Seattle and in L.A. and mm-hmm. Santa Barbara before I always knew that wasn't going to be the end of it, mm-hmm. that I was not walking my soul talk. Mm-hmm. But I didn't really know how that would unfold either. And in 2008, when everything crashed, I did too, financially anyway. It was a brutal awakening, humble pie, the whole pie. And uh, that's when I went to graduate school. I'd gotten an undergrad in communications at the University of Washington a long time ago. And uh, I thought about spiritual psychology. I went to the University of Santa Monica and started out um, with a master's in spiritual psychology. I only made it through the first year. And then at the same time, I could always, as I was still a realtor, I could always feel energies in houses. And Mm. I came up with this idea. I called it soul style. I got this download that said, well, how come, Sean, you feel these things in houses? And I thought, well, it has a lot to do with the soul of the people living there. Mm. So I came up with, you know, my soul style website and wrote some books on sacred space and feng shui because at the time I called it soul style, but I'd never heard of feng shui. This is in the early 90s, mid 90s. Mm-hmm. Fun what? No, feng shui. Oh, okay. <laughs> What's that? So I learned a lot about that and started writing some books on that. After a while, I realized that that really wasn't all that I was meant to talk about or write about. You've written several books on feng shui, yes. right? Go to my website. And, They're on and Amazon. I was just going to say, by the way, you must visit Sean's website, soulstyle.com. Read all about Sean, see how beautiful she is, and about all the things that she's done and the program she offers. So go on. I'll stop interrupting you now. Well, like I said, then I... Started to work on a master's degree in consciousness studies. It's a wonderful curriculum. It had uh, the quantum sciences. It had uh, psychology, spiritual psychology. It had all the wisdom traditions and so on and philosophy. And one of the wonderful things about it, good news, maybe not so good news, was that it is coursework I took was online which allowed for me to have extraordinary teachers because it wasn't a brick and mortar and we didn't have to physically be there. And, you know, I could name some of the teachers, Clay Allen Wallace, Debashish Banerjee, Robert Frager, and so on. Uh, I I could go on and on. I love the learning. And then this is um, Transcendental Leadership truly was birthed out of that as I said earlier, because I needed to do a thesis. And at first I thought, oh, I'll write about sacred space and feng shui. And, and then I got this download about transcendental leadership. I really thought, what is, yeah. but I ran it by the professors and they said, you run with that. Mm-hmm. And like I said, it was kind of daunting to get jump into that. But And when was this? Finished the thesis and got my master's in 2014. So you're ahead of things here. Go ahead. 
<laughs> you know what? I'm always ahead of things. It's uh-huh. been a problem in my life. <laughs> That's actually a rather brief synopsis of, you know, my spiritual unfoldment, if you will. But I love to travel. Traveled a lot. I have two awesome sons. They're my teachers. But you were involved with the noetic sciences and evolutionary leaders and conscious business circle and a member of the Global Conscious Leadership Guild. Tell us about that. Which of those would you like me to talk about? The Global Consciousness Leadership Guild. That uh, sounds fascinating and fits with Global Heart to Heart. Yes, it does. Although I'm going to have to digress here for a minute because I just recently, Mm -hmm. very recently was invited into the guild. So I'm complete newbie and I can't really tell you enough in terms of what I would prefer to tell you. So maybe the next time I can do a better job at that because I wouldn't be able to right now. Okay. Well, let's hear about, you know, your evolutionary leaders and consciousness business circle. Well, that's out of the Evolutionary Leaders Organization in Santa Barbara in particular that I'm a member of. Mm -hmm. And I got invited into the Conscious Business Circle there. Mm -hmm. And we meet from time to time, mostly, of course, Zoom now. Right. And everyone is supporting each other in terms of conscious business. At this moment in time, they don't know that I'll be infiltrating them with the notion of transcendental leadership as well. (laughs) And I can't say enough quickly on the Institute of Noetic Sciences, founded by Edgar Mitchell. Mm -hmm. They have for, gosh, I want to say more than 40 years now, been doing hard science research on what we think of as the paranormal, if you will. Mm -hmm. I want to say that they were leading edge, may have been like the first organization, an institute, that truly started to pioneer this kind of research into the paranormal, the Mm. unseen. So I urge people to check out the Institute of Noetic Sciences and um, support them in any way. Now, for those who are not familiar, how could you simplify paranormal? Paranormal I would define as out of the ordinary, Mm -hmm. numinous, States of awareness, sometimes, for example, remote viewing, sometimes, for example, uh, you're thinking of someone and the phone rings, it's them. Mm-hmm. Uh, sometimes you have a notion of someone and again, maybe they call. All those kinds of things that the Buddhist yogis mm-hmm. have been Sharing that they're capable of a, a superpower, if you mm-hmm. will. Dean Radin's book, I want to say, Superpowers, where he does, and he's one of the lead scientists at IONS. Most of us have these paranormal type of uh, qualities where it's kind of almost telepathic. You think about your mom and she calls you, or you think about your husband and he calls you, or you think about a friend you haven't seen in 20 years and the phone rings and they call you. Or you call them and they go, oh, my God, I was just thinking that sort of thing really is part of our everyday life that some people don't think of. And that's why I, I'd say, like, what is paranormal? Because it sounds to someone who doesn't realize how every day it could be some of it. Angels, right? We would consider that what we call angels or different uh, psychic powers, beings, psychic powers, 
clairvoyance. Yeah. When I was a kid, I was clairsentient. I still am clairsentient. I didn't have a word for it as a young child, but I knew things in a way that were very deep understandings that even sometimes I didn't know how I knew, but I knew I was right on and my understandings were very deep, very connected to my source, the divinity of who I am. Other people around me didn't really get it too much. That was more of a challenge. So I'm trying to bring it to, the, to simplify for people that this is very normal. We're so used to saying it's paranormal, but for the most part, we hear something or we sense something or we have a vision about something. It's there if we attune to it, right? And through some of these meditative practices or portals, if we're connected with those portals that pretty much turn us on and connect us to the source of our being which I believe resides right in our heart space. Those portals connect us to that heart space, connect us to our paranormal qualities. I would agree. I believe that we all have them. They're mm -hmm. just part of our makeup, but we have been disinclined to exercise them, appreciate them, value them, and utilize them. And some people might be, quote, born a little more tuned up, let's say. <laughs> that doesn't mean all of us don't have the capacity. I really feel that we right. do. And whether parents or society or the collective encourages it or discourages right. it. And of course, we know that in the past, if you heard things or felt things, you know, you got electric shock treatment. Right. I mean, we were brutal. Right. That's what I'm saying, that it's really something that is quite natural for all of us. Some of us may have to hone in on it more and fine tune it more through various practices. Again, I keep going back to your portals. Nature is, is your primary portal. Did you say that? No, I would say meditation is my primary portal. Okay, you portal. did say that. Maybe secondary is mm -hmm. nature. And then if I were to say tertiary <laughs> inspired writings when i was doing the masters we read a lot there was a lot of oh yeah richard geldard professor fantastic just brilliant in terms of emerson and buddhist hindu wisdom combined mm. incredible he's written a ton of books in any event, when I started to read about Emerson, you know, I thought, where was I in high school? Didn't we study this in high school? <laughs> I never paid any attention. But now I would have to, when I would read his writings, after a little while, I'd have to go out and lay down in the grass mm -hmm. <laughs> to kind of get grounded. <laughs> I'd get weepy out of how strongly mm. I just was, what? I don't know, enamored and touched by his thinking and his writing. Mm. Those are my three. I think when I was younger, movement, I was a bit of an athlete. Mm -hmm. So I would say that movement, athletic movement was a biggie at one time, but I didn't have the awareness that it opened me up to transcendence mm -hmm. states mm -hmm. at the time, maybe as a runner from time to time. Right sometimes horseback riding, mm. and sometimes snow skiing or water skiing. You wow. just could be just transported into 
the water and the sunset or the mountain and the mm. s- snow, the horse and its body. I love the idea of all these portals and I really encourage Right. There's one or two for everybody. Mm-hmm. It's part of our DNA, I think. There's gifts to be found in there. Well said. I know for me, it's hard to say. I I love music. I have always loved music. I was born and raised on it. And I still to this day, and that's what, you know, Global Heart to Heart Radio is just music, all kinds of music. I love to write as well, but I have read a lot of the great classics. I studied English literature was one of my majors, uh, my undergrad degree. There are authors who can just take us to other worlds, even if it's about this world, feeling that we get and the places we can go in our minds. It's incredible. So I'm, I'm certain music is my number one. I'd have to think about the others. Well, I love to cook and feed people, so I don't know what that is. <laughs> Let me share with you some of the others. Okay, let's see. So as we mentioned, nature, meditation, and contemplation inspired writings. Mm -hmm. But the other ones that I did kind of mention and some I did not mention is movement, like I mentioned before, you know, qigong or dance and uh, some yoga postures, creativity. And I would put your cooking under creativity. Okay, This is what I mean as a heading for so many possibilities. And that's what's exciting about learning your portals is because, you know, creativity is That's big. That's a big topic. It's a biggie. And there's so many subheads, if you will, that can fall under that. Oh, yeah. Another one I write about each of these in the book is relationship. And Relationship oftentimes is attached to service, and I have that one Mm. as one of them. This one's attached to service a little bit, but I don't mean it to necessarily be, but all those people who are helping during COVID Mm -hmm. and how relationship is so intimate and difficult at this time, people who are suffering, Mm. and how can we be available and how can we help them, and then for some reason we can't. Anyway, mm. so relationship is one, even if it's your granny and how she just right. uh, unconditionally loves. Another one is devotion. Mm. And I think of devotion as one way to look at it that most of us, I hope, would understand is that people who are deeply religious. Mm. And as we know, a lot of the uh, Buddhist and Hindu schools or traditions, if you will, devotion is a major element to their spiritual awareness. Can I add to that just like disciplined devotion? Exactly. My mind goes off to, I'm not very disciplined in my practices as much as I used to be many years ago. I've gotten out of sync with that, but I still feel that my every movement is devotion. You know, it's like everything is a walking meditation. Whether I'm cutting vegetables or playing music or speaking to a friend, drinking a glass of water. It's all in grace and there's devotion in every moment of it in recognizing the divinity in all of it. But that's, go ahead. So what's the rest of your list? Well, I was going to say that's good. Thank you for saying that. Truly, that's really, really good. Thank you for saying that. I I like to bring that up because some people go, well, I, I can't meditate. That's fine. You don't have to be. 
it was something I struggled with in my own life because I was such a disciplined meditator and yoga every day. And, and my life changed. Many things happened. You know, there was a lot going on and I never got back to that place that I loved and was really some of the best time of my life. But what I did was I just gradually realized that I didn't have to be that devoted to still be devoted, that disciplined to still be devoted. And there's simplicity in it. And anyone can practice devotion any moment, anywhere, with anything. And I think more of us who understand that and come to grips with it, like I said, I had to go through this process in myself because I felt like, oh my God, I can't do this. I'm fine. We need to be fine and keep, it's okay if it's simple and you're not as disciplined as a Buddhist monk. Well, you know, I agree with you. It can be kind of tricky, that fine line between dedication to practice, Mm -hmm. like the coach would say, keep practicing, like you're exercising a muscle, to use a metaphor. And on the other hand, is this really resonating with me? Right. Is this really like feeding my soul? Or am I just, you know, getting stronger at something that doesn't feed me? I don't know. I think that's a fine line each person has to kind of take a look at for themselves. I agree. And, and that's what I'm speaking to, to encourage people to do. And find your own what really feeds your soul. Yeah. And you'll know it when you're on it. I think so. It's because bliss opens up in your heart and your soul and... Like tuning a radio, it's like mm-hmm. you've hit the channel. So a couple of the others, I think I mentioned earlier, indigenous wisdom, and that can account for like, you know, plant medicine and so on. So indigenous wisdom, really looking into the heart of the indigenous wisdom in the world today. There's this wonderful film that came out recently called Down to Earth. Mm-hmm. If you haven't seen it, I'll share it with you. It was this couple with Three young children, all under the age of approximately, I'm going to say, 10, 8, and 4, or 5, two girls and a boy. One's Dutch, one's English, and they were living in the Netherlands, and life was really great. And they decided they wanted to do something different and raise their kids a little bit different. Bottom line is they got a van and a camera, and they started to go around the world filming Mm -hmm. these different tribes. Mm -hmm. and. I know in a nutshell, I'm not explaining it well, but I think they spent several years just with the kids in a camera uh-huh. going to indigenous tribes all around the world. Oh, my God. Learning about their philosophies of leadership and wisdom from their own tribal culture. What it's an education. I, Down I, to earth. I remember something in that in my little brain file here. That's yeah. Oh, yes. So what's another list? Okay. Another one is knowing and mm-hmm. this is like deep knowing mm-hmm. now this is one that you need to exercise learning to have access to deep knowing mm-hmm. when you know inner wisdom is really having a conversation with you and then i do talk about the four hindu paths of yoga mm-hmm. not the postures per se mm-hmm. but yana raja bhakti and karma Mm. those four paths of yoga. Mm. The 11th portal is, it's the four paths or philosophy of yoga. Mm -hmm. And it's karma, which is service. Raja, which is meditation in a sense or devotion. 
bhakti, which is love, and jnana, J-N-A-N-A, jnana, which is knowledge and learning. Mm -hmm. So those are the four paths, if you will, of yoga. And yoga being unity was what that means. All those four are the unification of what they call in yoga. So when I say yoga as a path or a portal, I should say, mm-hmm. I mean it not as the postures necessarily. Right. And that pretty much are the gateways that I discuss in the book. Oh, that's it? <laughs> I'm joking around. Because each portal, I can see why you honed it into one or two words for each portal. I'm still like blown away with creativity. It's a biggie, huh? It's everything. We're creative beings. We can't not not be because it's the nature of evolution. It's the nature of creation. It's the nature of growth that we... Yeah. Even when a person doesn't think they're creative, hello. That's just what I was just going to say. Sometimes we don't even think that something simple that we're doing is creative. It's really about becoming more aware of who we are, right? And becoming more in touch with who we are and how we be in the world and honoring it. I love to doodle. (laughs) It's almost addictive sometimes, but it's also meditative for me. I can sit through a lecture and doodle the entire time because I take in on a different level, but I never thought anything about my doodles. I wouldn't even show them to anybody. And a friend of mine came over my house one time, who is an artist, and was blown away. Oh my God, you call these doodles? She helped me to honor my doodles Mm. and, and get in touch with the fact that it's a very creative process. Whatever it is, however simple it is of yourself, and it's cultivating that self love, that honoring is cultivating self love, right? I also think of your doodling because when you were sharing about it, that you would maybe be, you know, listening to a lecture and doodling. And in a way, it sounded like it was like automatic writing that we're mm-hmm. familiar with, but you were automatic doodling. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I feel like the sense of creativity or the notion of creativity, and I hope is coming a long way because I can remember. My youngest son in elementary school came home one day and said, I think it was fourth or fifth grade, that Mr. So-and-so said he wasn't creative. And of course, Mama Bear (laughs) lost her mind and uh, got in the face of this teacher in a Mm -hmm. nice, maybe not so nice, but anyway, way to have him apologize to my son like, oh, who are you to decide? Yeah, really? And And how awful to tell a young child. Well, but, you know, I'll say this, that the teacher got it. Like, well, you're right. I guess I'm not really one to decide. Right. And he did apologize. It's like, who are we to say what's creative or what doesn't fit in the box anymore? And I think I'd like to think that our society is a lot more freed up about that. At some point, and I think we will see this in our lifetimes, People will get it and they won't take it anymore because our consciousness, like I I said earlier, 
people's consciousnesses are being raised now, whether they're aware of it or not, because there's so much changing. And we have entered the age of Aquarius. This is the, one of the most exciting things. I'm like a maniac. It's the age of Aquarius. And remember the fifth dimension? This is the age of Aquarius. And that was 40, 50, 60 years ago. The fifth dimension, where did they even get the name? Talk about transcendental. Okay, maybe they were doing mushrooms. <laughs> and then to come up with the song, this is the dawning of the age of Aquarius. This is what we've come here for now. And this is it. The astrology has occurred. It's here. We have entered the age of Aquarius. Just the idea, how many people are meditating now? Mindfulness meditation really became, you know, flavor du jour. It's everywhere. It's all over the place. It's in meeting rooms. It's in Google. It's in, you know, so many places. Personally, I feel, you know, mindfulness meditation is great, but there are other kinds. And I really, in terms of when I talk about meditation in the book, I don't go into it too much, but there are different forms of meditation that align with different brain waves and promo for transcendental meditation because this particular type aligns with the brain waves that have a transcendent nature as opposed to some of the other ones that might you know gamma rays or beta ray beta excuse me brain waves and so forth depending on what a person perhaps has a goal in terms of their meditation might have something to do with whatever they choose to practice with. If you do find one or two that's right, there's something to be said for a bona fide teacher and or there's something to be said for if at first don't you don't succeed, try, try again. Oh, yes. Because so many, oh, meditation, it doesn't work for me and so right. on. And they give up. Right. Rather than giving it like we talked about earlier. Um, coach says to keep practicing. That's right. You got to keep practicing sometimes before you really notice the right. results because they can be so subtle. I got to tell you, learning TM at 20, truly an extraordinary tool and just the well-being of my life and mm -hmm. my world, as sure. it, you know, and how I handle stress and life's ups and downs. Yes. And the whole bit. Because you approach the day centered. That's what I found for me. I was centered because I was just right there. I had a teacher who explained to me in a very interesting way. She drew a circle on a piece of paper and she kept making circles smaller and smaller and smaller until she got to the center. And then she put a little asterisk or something and she said, you see this center? That's where you want to go. And everything, all these lines outside of that are garbage. <laughs> and static, and you don't need any of it. You just want to get into that center. So, Sean, one last thing before we wrap up. You said something very powerful to me this morning, which I will take with me and integrate into my being. And it was a saying uh, that you said. Would you Do you know what that was this morning? When we were talking about, behold, I make all things new. And I love that. I just wanted to take, take us to that point of all we spoke about now. To walk in the consciousness of 
Behold, I make all things new. Well, I thank you so much for being here with me today. This has been so enlightening. I'm so excited to get your book, Transcendental Leadership, Ageless Principles and Practices for Leading in a Time of Awakening by Sean Mitchell. And I thank you again so much for being here today, Sean. This has just been wonderful. Take care. Thanks, Mary Alice. This is Mary Alice with love from my heart to yours.